0: We're caught in a trap I can't walk around Because I love you too much, babe Oh, the mic's on at it I What, what you're doing, doing to me? me My favorite Elvis song <sushing> Everybody now, here we go. We can't come on together with suspicion. timmy With suspicion, <laughs> <we can't> <laughs> it's too high. I blew up uh, my top couple of notes when I was screaming with Sidney Crosby scolded scold that Sco- go. <laughs> scold that go. Scold that go. Scroll that go back in <laughs> 2000. Okay, Buckwheat. Yeah. Okay, let's
1: go over the interview.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Bannister is our next guest on the Drew Marshall Show. That's what you're listening to. We're streaming live at DrewMarshall.ca. We're live right here in Southern Ontario on Joy 1250. And uh, I like this guy. Like People with British accents always sound smart. <laughs> hey, I
1: even how laughed you? Cool. How you doing?
0: Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you?
1: I'm doing well today. How are you, sir?
0: Um, well, I, let me just give you the setup first, okay? So don't you just play a little shush there. Here we go. Blending comedy and popular philosophy, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist, has been described as John Stewart meets C.S. Lewis, and is a fast-paced, tripped, rip-roaring, laugh-out-loud, thought-provoking engagement with some of the popular arguments advanced by media-savvy atheists like Drew Marshall. No, like Richard Dawkins. Whether you're a skeptic, suspicious of shallow thinking, or a believer wanting something more than another boring work of apologetics, which, my goodness, there's a lot of, and thank you for not doing that, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist is unlike any book you'll ever read. You may not agree with everything, but we can promise you to have your thinking stretched whilst laughing out loud. Now, I know you had something to do with that bio because you the word whilst is in there, and that's something British people say.
1: It is a giveaway, isn't it? We do use these words, but
0: nobody else on the planet knows what they mean. We think it makes it sound intelligent, Drew. That's why. Well, whilst you were writing that bio, were you drinking? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Tea, probably. Yes, of course. Andy is the Canadian director for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries speaking and teaching regularly around the world, addressing audiences of all faiths on culture, politics, faith, and society. Andy holds a Ph.D., Papa has dough, in Islamic studies and has taught extensively at universities across Canada, the USA, UK, and further fields. Stop laughing! I'm sorry, that was a good line. I should, I, I'm going to borrow that one. Uh, on both Islam and philosophy, he's also an adjunct research fellow at the Centre for the Study of Islam and Other Faiths... <laughs> Is that what it's really called? The Center for the Study of Islam and Other Faiths? That's the title they went for, the Australians, you know. That's funny. Uh, at Melbourne School of, uh, of Theology. What does adjunct mean, by the way? Basically means you're not paid anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're like an intern.
1: <laughs> yeah, a very a uh, highly qualified intern. It basically yes. means I get to uh, I get to use their name when they get to drop mine. But yeah, when they first offered it to me, I went fantastic. Does that mean money or a trip to Melbourne? Yeah, no, no, no. But there we are.
0: So um, I'm sure people have have said the first thing I said, which was thank you for writing something like this that has some uh, that has a pulse to it. Because the last thing we need is another ham on rye debate. Debate. You know. Yeah, uh, the Ken Ham Bill no Ham on Nye, Ham on Nye. I didn't want to say it. Jeez, I didn't say it right. Those so the Bill Nye Ken Ham debate was I mean it was shocking. It just was. And and there's so many books out there about this stuff, but you have brought a pulse back to it. Thank you, Andy Bannister.
1: Well, that's very that's very kind. And actually you've described exactly my motives in writing it. I mean I think as someone who works in this kind of field, I just found myself thinking there's so much well, bad bad stuff is one issue, but then also I think so much yelling from either side of the debate, and I mean the 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 uh, the Nye Ham debate, I think illustrates that. To go aside from everything else, it was two guys who, who were very committed to what they believed, not engaging with the other and doing it with the greatest respect in a fairly boring way. And so there was a sense when I set out to write the atheist who didn't exist, how can we make this stuff fun? How can we make people want to read it? Because I think it matters. I really think the question matters whether you come down on the atheist side or the God side. It's too important a question to ignore. So how do we get people to engage? So hopefully by something fast-moving, a little bit funny, a bit satirical, you know, a bit edgy in a couple of
0: places. Hopefully a few people would pick up this book that wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, well, I would be one of those. So uh, of all the f- uh, famous atheists that are out there, uh, who's wh- which of them would you like to to uh, to endorse it or to read it or for you you know to all of a sudden you get an email from. Person X, the the famous celebrity atheist or the famous atheist, and they and they send you a note saying, "Well done, mate."
1: I think uh, obviously, I mean, if that were to happen, I think Dawkins would be the key for a couple of reasons. I mean, he was the guy who kicked off the whole so-called kind of new atheism movement with his book, The God Delusion, ten years ago. I use him as a bit of a sort of sparring partner uh, in the book, but also having a few people who know him, like a lot of these guys, there's more stuff below the surface, um, and I think sometimes, particularly for those of us who are Christians, thinking about. This is very easy to caricature atheists and sort of assume that, you know, Dawkins is beyond the pale or make generalizations about it. He's a more complex individual. And so I'd love, you know, it would make my day if I got an email, even if that email said, Andy, I disagree with 98 percent of it. But at least I've read it. It would give me hope that even someone like Dawkins, he's at least willing
0: to expose himself to critique. Uh, all I heard was Dawkins was willing to expose himself. That's all I heard. Twitter, right now. You go, there you go. <laughs> One of the best interviews I've had over the years that, that I enjoyed the most, because it was it was fun, it was cheeky, it was intelligent, was my interview with Penn Jillette. And Penn is a, a, a well-known atheist. Yes, exactly. Did you ever listen yeah. to that? Because I would I would be happy for you to listen to that.
1: I haven't. I didn't know you'd uh, I know. I have to listen. To- I read yeah, your no, book. Sorry.
0: You don't listen to my stuff. Come on. What's, a, what's it? going on? Exactly. I know. Really bad.
1: No, I'll dig that one out. He's, a, he's fascinating. I mean, he and I have engaged on Twitter. He actually responds. Huh. So if you say stuff, uh, he'll, come, he'll come back. And um, it's a little bit more intelligent, I think, at times than the Dawkins stuff. And I think the other thing I like about Penn, I think he, too, realizes that
0: you sometimes got to make people laugh to get people to think. And he's fascinating. Hmm. He's a really interesting character. Um, Okay, let's talk about the Jesus people and their misconceptions or preconceptions about atheists, and I just want to start by giving you a little anecdote. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Anec-away. I was sitting around the table with a bunch of other hospital chaplains at the hospital where I am a lay chaplain, and... Uh, for some reason, we started going around the table Like some sort of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, support group meeting And started saying our name and, and, you know, who what we All of a sudden people started saying what they believe And where they go to church and stuff like that Which I thought right. was weird Anyway, it got to me and I thought, am I going to say this? Am I going to say this? Am I going to say this? And you know me, Andy, I said it You just said it, yeah, what did you say? So everyone's saying, you know, hello, my name's Susan I, I'm Catholic, I go to the Catholic Church and blah blah, blah. Hello, my name's, eh, I go to the, you know, whatever here comes Marshall. Hello, my name's Drew Marshall, and I'm an alcoholic. They laughed, and then I said, "Actually, I'm a red-letter agnostic theist." And the head chaplain lady afterwards talked to me and said, "Did you have to say that? You just because what people heard was agnostic, and what people thought was atheist." So I'm dealing with a whole lot of ignorance because people react; on, they tweak on these words. Yeah. So uh, help me help them. Yeah. Do you know, I think there's a whole number of issues
1: going on on there, Drew. And, you know, I think, if I'm honest, when I was uh, a younger Christian, I found some of this. If somebody had dropped dropped the A word, either of the A words that you've gone there, agnostic, it's immediately a series of labels come into your mind. I think sometimes for some Christians, there's a fear. There's a sense of, oh, gosh, you know, what do I do do with this? Because until the point you did that in that conversation you described, I guess it was safe. You know, everyone's got a different kind of spiritual story. We're all nodding and agreeing, and suddenly someone comes in from left field. And now what do we do with it? Um, and I think one of the things I want to say – I mean, the book is aimed, that I've written is aimed more at atheists and skeptics, but I also want Christians to read it. And one of the things I want Christians to take away from it is that actually we don't need to be afraid of atheists for a, num- for a number of reasons – there's a Dawkins crowd who are loud and scary and sometimes a little bit rude. And you know what? The arguments are terrible, and let's have some fun with them and show why they don't really work. But once you get that out of the way and you realize there's an intelligent conversation to be had, you know what? A lot of atheists are really intelligent, fun, people to hang around. They're not going to agree with you. Um, but that's uh, what anyway. we want,
0: Andy. That's what we want yeah. in, in our little kumbaya crowd. We want people that have that agree with us. We don't want people that ask questions. Well, there's that, and I think the other thing as well is when
1: you meet people who don't share your convictions, Drew, it suddenly makes you realize you've got to think through the reasons why you believe. Yes. Yeah. And I think, well, I remember this as a young Christian. I never thought that through, and it wasn't in my case till I met Muslims who believed differently to me, that I suddenly had to go, oh gosh, are the things I was taught by my parents true? And that was a long journey to, to sort the answers to that one out. And I think sometimes, yeah, we sit, Christians can sit in the Christian bubble and just not engage the real world. But I think that a number of things happen. We miss some really fascinating conversations. And also, if the gospel is true, which is, for those of us who are Christians, we believe that it is, surely we believe that there's nothing nothing to be afraid of in people's questions. I love honest questions from people because they make me think. I get to learn more about them. And, you know, I also, hopefully, in some cases, hopefully get to connect people to what I think the answers are. But if we hide in our Christian bubbles, we miss all of that. We need to step outside our comfort zones,
0: man. Okay, so our misconceptions of, uh, and I'm going to say our because I am i don't know That's why. What
1: I like. Include yourself in the circle. Stop there we are.
0: It. Lower case Stop a, it. Lowercase a. Stop it.
1: Pink a. That's <laughs> my goal today, to get you from red to pink. <laughs>
0: um, come what, on home, Drew. <laughs> come on home. Anyway. Kumbaya. Oh, um, god. So uh, the misconceptions, misconceptions, all of a sudden I'm British in some weird street way, uh, that, that we have about atheists are they 're scary, they disagree with us, therefore it's just going to be a conflict conversation. I can't be bothered with that is that one I think that's a, I think that would be uh, a big one and then um, and then
1: I think sometimes as well I think there's a misconception that atheists haven't always thought this stuff through and um, that's one of my my critiques of Dawkins actually, but I think he does atheism a disservice because some of the more thoughtful atheists i've I've engaged with are going to hate his kind of stuff because. Yeah. It's, it is fairly lowbrow. And, and I think for Christians, the most important thing we can do with atheist friends, colleagues, family members is learn to listen. If somebody says, so there's a, says they're an atheist, don't react. Just turn to them and say, That's fascinating. What's your story? And Beautiful. And talk. If exactly. they'd done that to you sitting around the table, that would have been interesting because they'd have had a chance to hear from you, what your journey was, and who knows that could have been a much more interesting conversation.
0: Okay, what do you think are the are the misconceptions, misconceptions... I don't know why I'm pronouncing it like that. The misconceptions... Me, you've
1: definitely got some vocal thing going on there.
0: <laughs> the misconceptions that atheists, that, that atheists have about Christians.
1: I think one of the the biggest ones that I run into all the time is is almost a kind of flip, it's sort a of mirror image of the Christian one of atheists. It's, the Christians are not thought through, they don't have reasons, they're just, you know, uh, rednecks, the people have never engaged with anything, and... And that's sad as well, because I want to say to my atheist friends, you know what, yes, of course you can meet those types. You can meet irrational Christians, but they're irrational atheists as well. But most Christians believe what they believe for often really good reasons. And many of them who've actually thought about it can articulate them to you. And so I think on that side of the conversation, too, it's trying to help people to see past the stereotypes. And then the other thing, and I can understand this from atheist friends, I really can, is that I think sometimes my atheist friends I find sort of have trouble disentangling some of the things that been, have been done in the name of Christianity from yeah. Christianity. I mean, that's to be thankfully, that's less of an issue here in Canada than it, say, is across the border, where I think many of my atheist friends associate Christianity with a particular political position. I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, that is the yeah, connection. Yeah. And uphill there's less of that. But there's still that sense of, oh, you're a Christian, therefore you must stand for all these other things. Yeah. And it's, again, helping atheists go, you know what? I don't blame you. I honestly don't. I understand that. The church at times have made some huge screw-ups. But try and get past that, you know, because ultimately the question is, you know, who is Jesus? Who did he think he, he was? Are his claims true? And I want to get my atheist friends to wrestle with that one uh, rather than try and get, you know, t- tangled up in some of the other stuff. So sure. a lot of it's disentangling, isn't it? This sort of great, it's like two kittens and a ball of string, and trying to sort
0: of separate a few things. Uh, Andy Banister on the phone with us. He's the author of the atheist who didn't exist, and we're just talking about the uh, well, the extremist whack jobs in both camps. Uh, the uh, the the nutty Christians have their neck of the woods that they live in. It's called the South, and then the uh, the the insane atheists uh, they have their area. It's called the UK. So there you go. Um, Lines now lighting up from both sides of the Atlantic. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a there's a general societal shift when it comes to uh, people, you know, uh, what people are believing, what they're what they're not believing. And I think there's a rise. Well, I know this. There's a rise in a group called nuns, not the not the chicks with the robes. Yeah. Who yeah. I probably shouldn't have worded it that way. Um, Phone lines right lighting up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I'm talking about the groups, uh, the people who, when the survey came out, they said, "Are you affiliated with any church?" And they say none. Do you believe in God? Yes. Well, they're the nuns. Got it, folks? So uh, here's a little thing, by the way. This is from your material, so I'm just going to quote it back to your, your, your press material. A recent Pew Research Center survey shows that the percentage of people who identify as atheists in America has nearly doubled in just seven years, while the overall religious landscape in the U.S. shows more people now identifying as religiously unaffiliated, I think I just said that, making the U.S. look more like the U.K. and Western Europe. So... This is a secular trend. Why? What are the causes? Go for it. So, yeah, I think uh,
1: I think the trend exactly is there, although I'm, I'm glad you quoted those two pieces, because I think when I talk to many of my atheist friends, they, they tend to assume that atheism is on the rise. Atheism really isn't globally on the rise. What is on the rise is, is the, una, the unaffiliated. And they're fascinating, Drew. I mean, literally just the other day I was on Facebook debating with a guy who I thought was an atheist for everything that he said, And then I made some reference to him. I called him that, and he backed right off and went, no, 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 no. And he went, please don't get me wrong. I I believe in in God, very much so, Just, just not your kind of God, not one of the Abrahamic gods. And it was really interesting. He didn't like the term atheist. So I run into these folks quite a lot. I think a couple of things... Driving it, I think one is a kind of dissatisfaction with organized religion. Although I always want to say, I mean, if you're going to have a religion, better be organized than disorganized. But you know, mm-hmm. there we go, get the cheap mm-hmm. jokes in. Mm-hmm. But um, and some of the things we talked about politics, I think, and some of the associations that have been com- being connected with the church, people wanted to back off from that. We also, I think, live in a culture uh, here in uh, Canada and North America and Europe that increasingly tells us, you know, it's all about freedom. You know, your way, your choices, your decisions, your preferences. You know, we go to the supermarket and there's 300 varieties of toothpaste. And I think a lot of us approach spirituality that way. Well, I don't want an organized thing. I don't want to go to, like, a church because that's rather too much telling me what to believe. I'll pick my own stuff. I'll do my, make my own way through things. But underlying it, still that sense of spirituality. And that's what I find fascinating. I mean, I love hanging out on university campuses. A lot of my time I'm on university campuses talking to student audiences. And, yeah, I, I say you run into hard-nosed atheists very rarely. What I run into are these spiritual but unaffiliated Types who are, you know very happy with the idea there's some kind of god there's a spiritual reality but at the moment anything looks a bit too organised or a bit structured sort of back off and get
0: yeah. wary. Okay, I was at uh, rehearsals on Thursday for Fuller House, which has Candace Cameron in it, and one of the uh, stand-ins is uh, Candace's aunt, so her mother's sister, Barbara Cameron's right. sister, and so we were chatting away there and. And I, I made a crack about Ray Comfort because I'm not his biggest fan. I I'd, I'd spotted that before. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So can you and Ray Comfort have a debate? Because you're on the same team, but you come at this way differently. Do you not? Yeah. I think I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm I, I try and sort of be
1: generous to my own side, generous to all sides. I think the difference I think in perhaps the way that someone like say he or I would uh, would approach things. I think sometimes in the past, we maybe this is a British person in me speaking, there could be I, I saw the tendency that some Christians have to sort of come at things like a bit like a bull in a China shop, yeah. come out all guns blazing, arguments everywhere. And that that can be great in some contexts, but I think it also turns a lot of people off. And I in certainly in the UK scene had seen far too much of people being turned off by that kind of stuff. And so one of the reasons I built the the kind of humour and the and the comedy uh, into that book, and I think what I, you know I'm not, I'm not saying this just to massage your, your ego. Your ego is big enough already. Like easy, mine. Um, easy. There we go. Is uh, <laughs> oh, claps in the background. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of the when the one of the endorsements of the book, Drew, I'm the I'm the really happiest about is what you said that many. I think you said many of the debates on this subject make you want to gouge your eye out with a spoon. But you know, this is actually. Readable, and I thought that's the that's the thing. How do you make something that people are going to read who are just turned off by people yelling or flinging arguments at each other? And so that was what for me landed on the comedy and the humor to go. You haven't got a lot of choices. You either write fiction, and you do like C.S. Lewis did in the Narnia books, and try and go that route. Well, I can't write fiction for Toffee, but you know, I think I can be relatively funny. I can get the occasional laugh when I insult people on air. Um, so you know, what does that look like in a in a book that tries to? Yeah, I mean, you said at the start, apologetics. Apologetics is my career, is my ministry. This, on one hand, I'm not happy to call an apologetics book because I think it mislabels it. There are arguments in there... But it's really designed to start a conversation. In fact, to, to Christian friends who buy this, I say, look, you know, don't, don't give this to your atheist friends thinking it with a magic pill that will reconvert them. I, I don't think that's the right way of viewing things. But it might be a conversation starter. It's the kind of thing you can give to them and say, look, you'll have a laugh, and then, hey, I'll take you out for coffee, you know, I'll take you out for a beer, and then just talk about some things. You just
0: quoted, a conversation you just, starter. You just quoted uh, Ricky Gervais. Is he having a laugh? you having a go. So listen, folks, whether you're a skeptic suspicious of shallow thinking or a believer wanting something more than another boring work of apologetics, as we just talked about, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist is unlike any book you've ever read. You may not agree with everything that Andy Bannister says or uh, like his dodgy accent, but we can promise <laughs> you to have your thinking stretched whilst laughing out loud. That's my favorite part of the whole plug. Um, but my favorite... Part of, of this of this conversation is actually you and and Marshall McLuhan had it right. The medium is the message. I think I just called you a witch. The medium is um, the message. No, maybe. I yes,
1: didn't. actually, yes, uh, yeah. I, well, I always think of myself as fairly average, so I'm, I'll settle for medium.
0: Okay, Zero <laughs> ah, week, folks. <laughs> Enjoy the veal. Where are <laughs> you? Right, where are you right now? Aren't you at West doing something?
1: I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm out in Calgary, so uh, we got a whole series of events happening out here in Calgary. Open forums and university pieces, and then Robbie. Speaks at University of Calgary on uh, on Tuesday night, so uh, it's it's fun. The sun is shining, the mountains are gleaming
0: in the distance, and uh, and yeah, it's a good place to be. Andybanister is a website you want to go to. Get the book, buy it, use it in your home groups, your small groups, uh, in your pub groups. It's a great conversation starter, and it's a great read by by a guy who who does not stink of arrogance uh, despite his accent. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know we you know we muck around here, but I I do appreciate the way you do things, Andy. I very much do, and and uh, and I, I I think we'll talk again in the near future.
1: Yeah, really hope so. Always love uh, always love talking to you, Drew. It's always uh, a lot of fun, and we go deep as well. That's what I love. we yeah. we, we have some fun, but also go deep stuff. So uh, God bless you, and uh, have a have a great day. The rest of the show. Thanks, mate. Bye bye. Bye. Andy
0: Bannister on the Drew Marshall Show, author of the atheist who didn't exist.
1: The uh-huh. highway's down!